Good morning, good evening, good afternoon from wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Right on Track podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything Thomas and Friends and the Railway series. My name is Connor Jonas, but I am not joined alone. I am joined by the tall man himself, Tom Denham. Hello down there. Uh, it's like a little bit shaky when you speak um and to my side i have got the wonderful goatee critic himself tom parry goateed critic no one has ever called me that but now that you've said that connor it's going to catch on i can just see you you know how our listeners are they just latch on to anything that's remotely meme related like leeches Yes, exactly. Exactly, exactly. But good leeches. Medicinal leeches. Mm. Um, (laughs) uh, Today we are continuing to persevere through Series 7. And after about six episodes through, we're going to start getting to what I personally feel is the juicy bits of Series 7. But more exclusively, Tom Parry, what are we reviewing today? Well, today we're going to be reviewing three stories from Series 7 called James and the Queen of Sodor, The Refreshment Lady's Tea Shop, and The Spotless Record. There's someone else in the room here at the Round Track studio. Connor, can you shade light on who that may be? Well, we're actually having some quite interesting here. We're having a returning guest host all the way back from episode 30 of the podcast when they helped us review the start of series four. It is AP. Hello. Hey, guys. Nice to well, be back again. Yeah, yeah. It's good to have you back. Like We've had a whole new theme. We've been through two new seasons. You joined us. Uh, sorry, not for episode 30, episode 25, which means it's been 28 episodes since you were last here. Like a good returnee, yeah. yeah long, it, long, way too long. It, 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 <laughs> it has been way too long, man. <laughs> and it's also worth noting that Aussie Prick joined us just before a certain global catastrophe unfolded, so hopefully now that he's come back onto the podcast, it'll all be over within a month. Or it's just going to get worse. I, I don't know. <laughs> no. 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 I, I am not ready to start wearing gas masks. I already do I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're, we're, like, normally at this point in the podcast, we, we'd talk about AP and what he does. We've already sort of done that in episode 25. So instead, a- AP, um, just going to ask you two questions. What have you sort of been up to recently? Uh, last time you brought along a bunch of models to show us. Not a lot, considering uh, the big thing that's happened has uh, really stifled a lot of creativity, surprisingly. <laughs> I have been getting into 3D printing and um, other sort of mechanical processes like that, but uh, yeah. Um, mm. and, and my second question, which will lead into the rest, why did you decide to come back specifically for this episode of the podcast? I had to come back, I think, for Arthur. Uh, yet again, him being a particular... I don't know. I was long out of Thomas when he appeared on the scene and he did spark my interest back in the series. So I, you know, I think for that, it was worth coming back just, just for that spotless record. And we'll be covering that spotless record as the last review of the day. But for the first review of the day, Tom Denham, 
what are we going to be covering? Well, Master Jonas, I'm glad you asked. We are going to be talking about James and the Queen of Sodor. And in the clip that we're going to listen to, the fact controller has a proposition for the engines, which gives Gordon a bit of an idea. The fat controller came to the shed. I need an engine to collect the Queen of Sodor. Who's the Queen of Sodor? A leaky old barge, replied the fat controller. She needs to go to the workshops. It's dirty work, I'm afraid. Just then, James shunted into the shed. This gave Gordon an idea. Is collecting the Queen of Sodor important work too? Very important work. Do I have a volunteer? Very important work, exclaimed James. I'll do it. Then it's settled. She's waiting at the canal. Thank you, sir, said James. Well, there are two things that make me smile about that clip just there. <laughs> One, of course, is James's iconic voice, as provided to us by the late Michael Angelis. The second one, though, is... <laughs> It's the fat controller describing a boat, the Queen of Sodor, no less, as a leaky old barge. I mean... <laughs> that's it. There's nothing to sugarcoat it with. <laughs> Just an old tub, that's it. So, uh, James, the Queen of Sodor by Paul Larson, seventh episode of the seventh series. It's interesting because it's one of the ones that I have in my mind so vividly, despite never really having watched it in full. I don't know why, but I must have seen it, a few hazardous clips of it, you know, just clicking through channels. I, actually, I have no memory of seeing it on TV, and it's very hard to find in all the DVD releases, but it is one of those stories that if you've seen it once, it definitely sticks with you. Right? There's so many memorable and iconic moments in this i i cast my mind back to some of the series three stories like buzz buzz for instance mm. of course another james mm. story and even though we all agreed then that the story was all right it, it had so many of those great scenes in there that just made it memorable and worth watching on the note of going back to series three this feels like a very early story it does, this feels yeah. like a series one or series three story, especially with how James and Gordon are bickering, especially at the start and throughout it, in competition with each other, mm. or Gordon tricking James into a job he wouldn't like, as you heard in the clip. Yeah, yeah, there, there's something about this story that I, I think it's been said. Like, it, it, it was quite difficult to find it on, like, a home DVD release unless you got the series seven set. But there's particular beats within the story that make it feel like a very well-done James-centric episode. But it's it's interesting as well because there's not a lot of action per se. It's very talky. Grandiose as it gets, we see the barge. It knocks over a few things. But that's about it, really. The story itself very much is just carried by itself. There are very little stories in the entirety of Thomas, I feel, that can just stand on its own. James and the Queen of Sodor, I feel that you can go into it without knowing nearly anything about Thomas. If you have someone that's interested in, or casually interested in Thomas, it's a very good way to introduce at least three of the bulk main characters. You've got Percy in there being cheeky, you've got Gordon doing his thing, and James, and then you have that interaction between the two which really works out to be a nice it just encompasses enough of the cast to get you involved and interested into the show so mm, absolutely mm. 
it's got a small cast. Like, I mean, Thomas Story is unknown for not having many cast members in it, but this one here just feels right with the amount it's got. It's it's mm. not too much. It's not too little. It's in the Goldilocks zone. Not the Twilight it's zone. N- the not Goldilocks. the Twilight zone. <laughs> no. though, though, though sometimes I do feel like I'm there and that someone's listening to me. Podcast. Anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> There are a few actually interesting story bits in it uh, that I'd like to sort of drag out here because they were inputted by Paul Larson. First of all, it opens with a line that you may be familiar with, especially if you've watched Thomas the Magic Railroad, which is that the engines like to be responsible, reliable, and really useful. It's canon. Mm. And the thing is... I think this is only the second or third time it's ever been said or will ever be said. On the subject of throwbacks, we see at the beginning of this story uh, some B-roll footage from earlier seasons. One is Oliver and Duck going through what's called Tidmouth Tunnel, and the other is at Croven's Gate where the Scarlowy Railway meets alongside the Northwestern Railway. Mm-hmm. So narrow gauge engines, small mountain engines alongside the, the big engines. It's nice for a throwback, but it's very jarring when you get further into the season where they've fully replaced all the Scarlowy engines by this time with the larger scale ones. So. No, you're, you're absolutely right, AP. And it gets worse as the series goes on. And we'll, we'll get to that in a future episode, obviously. But there's one point where they use B-roll from the very, very, very early seasons. And when you see it spliced in with the Series 7 content, it's just so jarring. I know the episode yeah. like that you're talking about, and I know the clip that you're talking about, yeah. and I'm like, oh. There's you know two there's... of them, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. There are two of them, actually, yes. But we will mm. get to them another day. <laughs> mm. It's really, really interesting on how much B-roll actually is in Series 7. You look through all of it, and there's so much that it honestly surprises me Mm. uh, about how much is just a clip of just an engine going across a bridge unrelated to the story unrelated to anything but it's just there to pad it Mm. and of course sometimes it doesn't work out but a Mm. lot of the time and and uh it, it does actually really work out there are two other bits in here in regards to the writing and paul larson it mentions the mayor of Sodor that James takes by train. Mm. He, he's been mentioned here. He won't actually appear as a figure until series nine, but mm. two more series in the future. And, and like, I mean, I, I have got a question, but I'm not expecting an answer. Why has Sodor, what's very much considered its own small country or at least independent nation, has got a mayor? I wanted to raise an exact point, Connor. I mean, what what, what does the role of a mayor involve? Like, a mayor well, is typically I'm glad like you asked. Uh, they they look after the land. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, okay, but the land itself is typically a town. Well, well, okay. but that's this is the point I wanted to make before Denon cut us off. Uh, <laughs> a mayor is typically in charge of a local council. You know, a, a small town at a local municipal level whereas the island of sodor is a quite a large island like if if this mayor is in charge of a council this size you know you've got to wonder what is going on with the electoral commission in sodor 
guys, just remember how how worse would it sound if it was the MP of Sodor or the Prime Minister of Sodor? Yes, I, I, I'd find that more believable, honestly. Mm, or, or it, it could could have just gone with something like the Lord of Sodor. A yeah, title the Lord of Sodor, the Duke of much, Sodor, yeah, we, the President of Sodor, <laughs> God of Sodor, the, the Minister of Foreign <laughs> Affairs of Sodor. Uh, but but yeah, a mayor, and like I mean, it's written down in books and so on. Sodor has got roughly sixty thousand people. It isn't that big when you compare it to modern day towns. Like I mean, my hometown itself has got a population just a third of that. Mm, mine's a hundred thousand. My my entire city could fit into the MCG. So 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 could the town of three people. It could also fit in the MCG. Well, okay, I see your point. <laughs> And the final thing, I, I actually no, I'll touch on the final thing at the end of the episode because, well, end of the this particular review because we actually yeah. haven't covered what the story is. All right, um, well, well um, do we need to? I mean, it's like Gordon well, it's tricks James into enough. collecting an old barge, and then James uh, tries Succeed. his hardest to stay shiny and clean, and by the end of the episode, he has, or he would, were it not for the fact that Percy Blue sand and rock and sort and all sorts onto james now that's something i love i think the comedic timing and use of percy in this episode is mm. so on mm -hmm. point i love it to bits and it's a far cry from how that he's usually portrayed in these especially in the more recent series of the show how he's like someone who's young and naive and kind of timid whereas in this one, we actually get to see his cheeky side, which I like. He, he, he's sort of evolved from a, a young, shy child to a, a bit more of a, a, a cheeky teenager, if mm -hmm. you were to say so. I'd argue against that, actually, because when he arrived on Sodor, he was already quite mischievous because when we see Henry coming out of the shed in uh, uh, Trouble in the Shed um, and he wishes him, I, I, I think that's a... A notable sign of, I guess, his mischievous nature already there. Okay, well, maybe he's just as mischievous, but he's not as naive. He, he, mm. He's got more wits about him now. Mm. He, he no longer yeah. just yells in order to be heard or wish. Don't he he now yells to actually Percy. make a message. <laughs> exactly. Um, actually, you mentioned the accident there with the pipe. And, like, this accent, like, I mean, I recommend it just watching the episode itself. It's not overly remarkable, but it's so satisfying. Like, they, they seem to use some kind of grey paint for the sludge of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I just love the imagery of as soon as the smokestack of the tug hits the pipe and the cabin and all the sludge just goes on the boat and flies all over the ground it just works so well the point i want to bring up here is that there's a thing on railways called loading gauge which is basically things of a certain height can't pass through certain areas because it is dangerous and now these things are typically checked at stations when they're gone and the track's been laid out but it's also someone else's job to ensure that things aren't too high when they're going through different areas and that is that of whilst we may not see them or any mention of a junction or a ah. signal, <laughs> I very much feel that it's our old mate, the signalman, 
who can be blamed for this. Hello. Classy soda workman at it again. It's the union, I tell you. <laughs> they're, they're getting rid of all the engines. That way they can go back to controlling them themselves. And then there's one point. Mm-hmm. One more point. Mm-hmm. At the end of the episode, which is a potential callback, I feel, to dirty objects. When James is covered with soot and dust, people say he'll need a washdown, and he says, good, he'll be readier than ever. Now, this is either a pun on just on the word red or a reference to Dirty Objects Railway Series and Series 1 story where he says that he's ready for anything along with Toby. But the thing that makes this extra funny, and which is why I believe it's a pun, mm. is because Percy, Gordon, Thomas and Duck all let out a collective groan. Yes, at least I wanted to raise this as well, Connor. I'm, and I'm very glad you did once again. I just love that yeah. little bit at the end. It's like everyone, be it the producers, Michael Angelus himself, are just acknowledging the bad, uh, the bad uh, pun. I'd just like to believe that Michael Angelus had like five takes to do. He's just like, okay, grunt three, go. Grunt <laughs> <laughs> four. Be a fly on the wall okay. there. But... With one of those groans of discontentment, that concludes Duck's last speaking role until series 12. What? <laughs> he hasn't got any word in this episode, just a, uh, a, a sigh. Mm. And because he's there and there are four groans and there are four engines groaning, one of them must be his. And therefore, that's his last role. That's just made me realise, Connor, Oliver, his Great Western counterpart, has more lines in Series 7 than Duck does. Yeah, well, he's the yes. popular one, so... Mm. True, but, 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 but another thing I, I've noticed already with Series 7 is Duck is just, like, the character they place if they need an engine for something. <laughs> Quick, we need someone. Yes. Duck. Go. He's he's background fodder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's good background exactly. fodder. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he is good background fodder. Uh, that will be proved once more when we cover Arthur's story. In almost any event where they need an engine that needs to have a name, they just use Duck, despite him only having the line of, ugh. What a way to go <laughs> out. Yeah. All right, I think it's time we did the scores proper now. Uh, okay, okay, okay. I'll lead us off because I I feel like, you know, um, well, I don't know what I feel like, actually, but I, I just have a suspicion my score is not going to be very popular. Uh, I'm going with a 7 out of 10. I think that, as we've discussed, there's plenty of throwbacks. It fits quite well into the Thomas and Friends lore, as in L-O-R-E. That I just feel like James's naivety is just a bit too much for me. I feel like after all these years spent on Sodor, he would know that there's not a queen of Sodor. And he knows there's a mayor, but not knowing there's a queen, I just it's just a bridge too far for me. So, yeah, but there's nice little touches here and there. So, overall, it's a seven. Like, man, I'm not going to stray too far from you. Uh, I'm going to give it an eight. Mm-hmm. Like, man, I, I'm definitely going it is a good episode. I can't put down exactly the reason why, because it seems to be able to stand up at its own four corners of a video screen. It's able to have plenty of good comedic moments. Yeah, it, it, it's just good. It's not exceptional, which, which is why it's not, you know, hitting the line at nine or 10. 
it's content. It's something that I'm happy to sit down and rewatch. Hmm. I'm going to give it a 6.9 out of 10. Denim, that score you've just given is 0.1 or a tenth more than the score you gave to Better Late Than Never. I, I know we push you around a bit for giving Better Late Than Never like too high a score, but in this case, I feel that you're purposefully giving this one too low a score. <laughs> no, that's just my opinion that I am entitled to. Okay. I think between you and Tom is probably a comfortable sort of area. So I'd probably give it a seven. There are two Toms. Okay. Yeah, Tom yeah. You, you know which Tom I'm talking about. No, it's not like <laughs> 0.35. Yeah. <laughs> Meticulous is my middle Ah, uh, yes, it's 0.75B. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> I heard that in Mr. Burns' voice. <laughs> so a 7.5, a 7.5 yeah, AP. It's, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's a good episode. But yeah, as I said, it's just, it's okay. It, it's not something that, I'd, you know, throw myself onto YouTube to watch again very quickly, but I'd watch it. Yeah. Speaking of things you can watch, we're moving on to the next episode now. <laughs> My most flawless segue, yeah. The Refreshment Ladies Tea Shop. Yes, and in the clip that you're about to hear, we learn that the refreshments on the Scarlowy Railway are quite overwhelmed and well, the Fat Controller has an idea to uh, broaden potential horizons. The refreshment lady was keeping very busy at the tea rooms. The next day, the Fat Controller had news for Peter Sam. The refreshment lady needs a place for another tea room. I can find her a beautiful place. I knew it. It'll be a piece of cake. Tea rooms don't live in cakes. It's just my way of saying it would be fun and easy to find the right place. Now, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Go on. Why does the refreshment lady sound like Michael Caine? She's a... More, more, no, I, I actually think she sounds more like Michael Caine's mum, specifically. Oh, oh, okay, yes. But Michael Caine is definitely in there. Somewhere, yes. I, I could just imagine her saying, Now, Mikey, I told you not to blow the bloody doors off. I'm telling you, Mr. Peter Sam Bruce Wayne, I can't allow you to do it. It's been a while (laughs) since Series 4 has happened, so she's just blossomed with the years. Yes, I I think we all wanted to make the same point here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so let's consider this. Like, when we last saw The Refreshment Lady, it was in Series 4, and that, of course, was adapted from a railway novel, and she was a much younger woman. But now, of course, with the passage of time, she's middle-aged, approaching, you know, the third age of her life. And, yeah, obviously, you know, she's older. So, you know, she's yeah, got uh, this older voice. And I actually really like that, because through hmm. a story, Peter Sam the Refreshment Lady, based off railway stories with the same name, not only does she sound older... But the model actually does look like an aged-up version of her. It, it does indeed, because she's no longer got the bob cut that she was sporting, and now it, it's a lot shorter. Yeah, it, it, it's shorter. It's sort of got curls and got a little band in order to keep all the hair in place. It's, mm. in my opinion, one of the best pieces of model work they've ever done for a figurine. I agree, Connor, 100%. Yeah, pure, purely because they've uh, aged it. Uh, so Refreshment Ladies T-Shop, also known as Refreshment Ladies Stand, 
uh, by James Mason. That's such uh, an odd title. Yeah, yeah, it, it is it what it is. is. What, what's but, she ta- what's she taking a stand against though? That's what it sounds like when I hear that episode title. That's an episode <laughs> I want to see. Stand against <laughs> stagnant tea shops. Uh, There's a riot. However, across the road, this is sadly the refreshment lady's last speaking role. Oh, she is mentioned casually throughout the 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 Thomasphere, but th- this is the last time she's ever said a word. How this story goes is that the tea shop is a little bit overwhelmed and they need to essentially open a new tea shop. So Peter Sam is asked to give her a tour around the Scarlet Railway to try and find out where to set up a tea shop. And she's got no idea, wants to set up one in all of the places. Uh, other night, uh, there is a big storm that knocks an old shed, which turns out to be an old coach, most likely from the Edsodal Railway, uh, onto line. Peter Sam decides to take it and have it refurbished into a travelling tea shop so that the refreshment lady can serve delectable treats at all those locations. Mm, and the reason for her uh, having the floating tea room, as I like to call it, is because she couldn't decide where she wanted her new tea room to be located. You know, Woodland Way she liked. She also liked the old Castle Causeway, and she liked Whispering Waterfall. And the Whispering but... Waterfall is how it's pronounced. Yes, and the Whispering Waterfall. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, obviously she couldn't have a tea shop all on the all these different places and operate them all at the same time. So the next best thing, obviously, was to create a mobile tea room. Yeah, a, a railway food truck. Ah, food trucks. Where would we be without them, you know? I mean, I'd be thinner. Tell them, like, <laughs> I, I'd be in a restaurant or, like, you know, actually in a place. There, there's nothing really more to touch on about this episode. Much there's like not, the really. Previous... I mean, it's, it, it's this usurping one of Denim's phrases here. It's a very humble story. But it, it's like it, it's very light on action, or you say it's light on narrative as well. But it's just so charming. I love it. Mm. What well, what one thing I really like about it is that it builds on the idea of the refreshment lady, and just sort of rounds up the story in a mm. nice little bow. Yes, like, especially like, her relationship with Peter Sam. Yeah, I, I'm content with this being her last speaking. Yeah, me too. I, I, I feel any more would need to introduce conflict that this wonderful old tea shop lady doesn't need to deal with. She she don't have time for any of that drama that is so constant on the Fat Controllers Railway. One mystery I would love to have had solved throughout this is probably what happened to Neptune Refreshments, the original tea shop, the one in Lakeside, because mm. it's never touched on. Uh, apparently she's been at Rumbling Bridge for who knows how long. What happened to her old tea shop? That's that's what I'd like to know. A better question: Why are we at Rumbling Bridge when the station hasn't been opened yet? Oh, yes. yeah, that too. I, I, I was planning on actually bringing up this point when we covered the grand opening, but uh, sorry, so I preempted your, uh, your yeah, discussion. Yeah, you preempted Connor. me by multiple episodes. The twenty-first uh, episode of Series Seven has the grand opening of this station that we see throughout all of Series Seven. Hmm. Which is interesting. Um, yes, indeed. It, it would be like, for example, James and a Breakdown Train being the last episode of the first series. 
Yeah, like we've seen exactly. Thomas on his branch line of Annie and Clarabelle, and then suddenly, oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, it, it, it's the timeline's broken. It, it, yeah. It's actually a common complaint that we have had and will have throughout Series 7. So our apologies to all those who have already heard us make this argument and uh, our, you know. It will continue. Yes, our future apologies to people who will hear it again, essentially. And past apologies, except we're not sorry. Um, (laughs) Now, on the note of it being a bit like a food truck with the canopy, uh, I I believe I've slightly touched on this before. Uh, I I study engineering, product design, so on. And it really annoys me that they don't have a step or platform for the, 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 the tea shop people to go on. Connor, you are on fire today. I wanted to make this exact <laughs> argument too. I mean, the, the the gap between the ground level and where the refreshment lady is serving her refreshments from is just too high. I mean, you, they, they, even they, for some, even for someone like Tom Denham, he'd have to like get on his tiptoes and jump in order to you know get his beverage the, down. Yeah, yeah pe- people's eyes are <laughs> barely even at counter level, let mm. alone anyone who may be slightly shorter than average like all these figurines are basically the same height so mm-hmm. we'll say that they're average but they'd still need to reach up an awkward angle not be able to see what's really on the counter and accidentally dip their hand in someone's chips the island of soda is home to tall people uh. <laughs> yeah, even in the promo images the the figures are literally the 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 shelf is here the figures are just underneath it it's it's what ridiculous. what is she doing dropping them down <laughs> she has really go, long arms oh no you dropped her i'll make another um, I, but but yeah it, it's a charming episode um there is a theory though a theory mm. about it because mm. uh in some other railway st- series books and notes companions it talks about the thin controller called Mr. Peter Sam, who Peter mm-hmm. Sam is named after, mm-hmm. finding old mid-sodor uh, saloon coach in a garden in Harwick in 1959. Ah. And a lot of people say that this is the same coach and, the, and this is maybe where the inspiration for it came from. Mm-hmm. There's nothing sense. confirmed about it. But I like that one throwaway detail from the railway series, which is mm-hmm. never, ever touched on. Mm. being brought into the TV series here to create such a charming story. Mm. I like Which that. will lead us into the reviews. The the reviews? The reviews of this episode. The ratings. Yes. Well, back. we're reviewing the episode. Yeah, yeah we've we reviewed it, but now we need to provide our overall scores. You were doing so well up until this point. Oh, I'm so disappointed oh, in you. Sorry, Barry. Okay. Denim, you're giving it an eight. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm giving an eight point five and parry a two. Parry? You? No, 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 no. I'm no, rating no, no, no. you now. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I'm gonna give it an eight as well, I think, uh, for reasons we've already discussed. Uh, but that leaves, of course, AP. I don't know. I think I think I'm gonna give it a seven. It's uh, I, I there's a lot of there are a lot of these episodes in season seven that are just they're okay. They're not, they're nothing groundbreaking. Like if we throw back to say the last instance of Peter Sam and the refreshment lady, that's more like a, a nine or something like that, where there's that pop to it. I, I, 
just find it it's a very slice of life story uh, but mm-hmm. it's nothing groundbreaking again so yeah i i, I want you to know that the, with the eight eight and eight point five you you ranking a seven singularly brought down the average rating by 0.3 points so bro, bro, cool. bravo there bravo <laughs> well done. i'm dragging you all down with me <laughs> but with that said that still gives us an average score of 8.2 or thereabouts 7.8 there or thereabouts. 7. Oh, okay oh that's slightly less impressive with, with the 8 8 and 8.5 that was an average score of 8.1 8.2 Mm-hmm. But with AP seven, it brings it down to a seven point eight. Well, that, that's that's still reasonable, you know. It's reasonable. I'm happy with it. I I I just wanted to poke fun at more people this episode. Mm. <laughs> he doesn't get much of a chance. I am such a... <laughs> so. Speaking of attention, uh, let's yes. draw our attention to the musical interlude. Thank you. Which what what's that, Connor? I, I, I didn't read the script for this one. <laughs> it, it, it's it's I, I, a Madonna's Material Girl by Jesse Ortiz. Love Jesse Ortiz's song. Great, let's oh, hear it. No nickelback. What a shame. Play the clip. Play the clip. Play the clip. <laughs>
Welcome back to the Ronald Track Podcast. That was Material Girl, originally covered or sung by Madonna, but covered by Jesse Ortiz. So far, we've reviewed James and the Queen of Sodor and the Refreshment Ladies Tea Shop. Tom Parry, take the weight off my mind. What are we reviewing next? We are reviewing Denim, the Spotless Records. And I believe you got a clip for us. I do, I do. And in this clip, we hear uh, the trucks playing a bit of fun on a new engine called Arthur. The three engines were soon at work. Thomas and Percy were bumping trucks. They knew this was naughty, but they were having fun. Join in, Arthur, said Thomas. No, thank you, wished the new engine. He'd never been naughty before. Arthur's first job was to push a trainload of fruit to market. The truck started to sing. A root toot toe, we want to go. The fruit's going off because you're too slow. How rude, huffed Arthur. This gave Thomas a naughty idea. Yes, it did indeed. And Parry, what was that naughty idea? The naughty idea that Thomas the Tank Engine had was to tell Arthur, the new engine, that the Fat Controller doesn't like the truck singing and he should make them stop singing, which of course is the wrong thing to do because if the trucks don't sing, then they get angsty, shall we say. So, Spotless Record is uh, another story by Paul Larson and this is his fourth story so far in Series 7 which makes him make up almost half of the stories that we've covered so far, uh, which mm-hmm. is surprising. But it is a new tank engine and another new character. And AP, since this is the character who you came back for, would you like mm. to tell us a little bit about him? Well, uh, funnily enough, uh, the, the actual character was planned to be named Clarence originally. Uh, a pretty weird sort of name. Um, they actually put his name out, I think, in a magazine for kids to suggest a name. And one of the kids suggested, I think his grandfather was Arthur. And that was what was chosen. Amazingly, pretty good choice, I reckon. Pretty nice little sort of nod to the, you know, the granddad. Because if I'm not mistaken, he'd passed on by that stage as well. So, yeah. I think that Arthur is a name that perfectly suits this new engine. I mean, it just suits his character and uh, well, just him in general. Yeah. Perfectly. It screams square, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> also, like to add, uh, he is currently the third new character that we've had this series. Mm. Because, of course, we've had Emily and Fergus. Mm-hmm. And, and now we've got Arthur. Like, who knows what else we're going to get in the future? Who knows? Um, well, probably well, people who've seen know, the show but... before. Yeah. Pegasus yeah. the Flying uh, Horse, that's but, who. Yes, yes. Uh, but, but Arthur is an Ivet 2MT tank engine, uh, rich mar- maroon colour, uh, with the initials LMS emblazoned on his side, standing for the London, Midland and Scottish Railway. Uh, and in original concept art by Rob Gorgalias, uh, he was originally going to have the number 41241, which is the number of a preserved 2MT on the Keeley and Worth Valley Railway. <sighs> the, the story, much like all the ones we've covered so far, seemed fairly simple, but mm. also is charming. Uh, a new engine with a spotless record, which means they've never had an accident before or a mess arrives on the island. Thomas plays a little trick on him. Uh, And then later, when Arthur 
is pushing the trucks. He has an accident and then his spotless record is over. But, but Thomas helps clear up the mess and at the end they become good friends. Mm. I'd like to believe this is another one of those issues with the Soda Workman. Why was he pushing the train? Yeah, I, I, I've got yeah. the notes here. <clears throat> oh, here we go. <laughs> so I've, I've noticed this a little bit so far in Series 7 and I know we will in the future. First, where are the brake fans? But when, Good when, question. When Bill and Ben were pushing the rock crusher, no brake fan. Okay. And here's Arthur pushing a train, which they have it like standard speed limits in place for these because, of course, pushing a train, it's difficult to see ahead. He hasn't got a brake fan. And mm. if he did have a brake fan, he wouldn't have crashed into the back of Duck. Which, Quite right. As I mentioned earlier, Duck just here doesn't say anything. He's just a victor of circumstance. <laughs> Those four vans filled with fruit that all mm-hmm. had faces and all were singing. Mm-hmm. They're like definitely dead, right? Yeah. Rip. Well, well um, it could be like <laughs> the, uh, the spiteful brake van, you know. They can save his face and just stick him back onto... They will put him in the Soto <laughs> yeah, Museum where he will look at the people looking back at him. So, so, <laughs> so out of the uh, accidents, uh, they start to introduce something here in Series 7, which is basically an air cap. And, and, and they just have it underneath where they want impact to happen. They'll fill it with stuff. And sometimes it will just shoot a truck upwards. So here, as... Arthur's train has collided in the back of Ducks, who has a brake van. Mm-hmm. They it was responsible. They full disintegrate. They tumble and are torn from their bogies and the walls of themselves. Like, I mean, if you were to think of these as living entities, that is quite horrific, especially because there's red stuff flying out of them, but it's jam. But yeah. still, <laughs> it is terrifying if you think about it in that context well it's also worth remembering this is the third fruit-based accident they've had on sodor's railways Mm. Mm. let's be honest the fruit effects are genuinely a bit better than uh, dishwashing liquid so that's (laughs) this is true yes it looks more like this time around yeah a little bit a little bit uh however it does look like they've got miniature models of bananas and oranges that they've just sort of plastered around the place as well which i like Mm. but it looks like they've gone some kind of, not fruit yogurt, but one of those just sort of cut peaches and apple in like a little yogurt box thing. Yeah, like it's the not a fruit, fruit puree that they serve. Yeah, yeah. it looks like they've just sort of put that in a blender and then just sort of drizzled it over the top of them. Mm. <laughs> Which, I can bet it gets the job done, but <laughs> sticky. Um, yes. Yes. There, there, there isn't too much to talk about here, um, but but there is one thing. Mm-hmm. And I find it quite funny because, mm-hmm. of course, the, the big thing of this episode is the spotless record. Yes. It's what makes Arthur so special. He's never had an accident. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Sir Topham Hatt has bought or hired an engine with a spotless record after all the chaos he's had on his railway He's probably hoping that this one will act as an example to the others. And literally on its first day, excusing the accident, he's broken the spotless record by going without a brake fan on the main line. Yes. Like he, he went down Gordon Sill where there's a, like a crossing or something there. Mm-hmm. And then he's got the big accident. Like, I mean, 
Arthur stood no chance. Yeah. Well, even when the Fat Controller introduced him, he said to Thomas and Percy, he's got a spotless record. And I just saw those two inches next to each other and went, they, they, they're out to break this spotless record. <laughs> he's got a spotless record and he'll keep it forever. The narrator lied. That's a great spotless record you've got there. Wouldn't it be a shame if you hit another train with a box of fruit? Maybe um, spotless records are made to be broken. It's the true power of friendship. And that's my issue with this episode. I like it. Despite all the railway regulations broken and the broken logic, that it just ends as a the power of friendship kind of message. Which I guess it's good, but also this is something that Arthur's been proud about, has obviously worked hard about. Mm -hmm. And then Thomas has gone and basically ruined it for him now just it's all over and forgiven like i mean no i would not be talking i'm blocking thomas on all on all the social media after that yeah i would be doing exactly the same like if someone did that to me i would not want to be friends with them ever in fact i'd probably go home back to the london midland and scottish railways arthur's a stronger engine than we are or maybe he's just a little less forward thinking because mm. don't be friends with Thomas. That's the moral of this story, kids. We'll be as normal as everyone else. No special. <laughs> We're going on a big world adventure, everyone. No! <laughs> Before we get too much more off track, ratings. That's the word, right, Parry? Ratings? Yes, that, that, that is yes. exactly the word, okay. Connor. Uh, well, this one... I'm going to lead off again. This one for me, I mean, I like it, but it doesn't really do anything for me. I mean, Arthur's mm. a pleasant enough character, but he, he doesn't really have a- any distinguishing features at all. He doesn't have this magnetic personality that a lot of the other engines have. And for me, yeah, that's really what not not ruins the story, but it really lets it down. Um, but the crash is spectacular. I will say that. Mm. Um so on balance, let's give it a six out of ten. Yeah, I'm I'm going to exactly agree with you there, Perry. Six out of ten from me. Arthur feels like that like his character is he sits there and he smiles and he goes, Yes, okay, I'm I'm just gonna wait and do as I'm told and do the right thing. Mm. And 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 that's it. And whilst, you know, he could perhaps crack a joke every now and then, but it's just a little bit flat. And especially that moral at the end. Yeah. Okay, Denim. Uh, six. Okay. So, as this is why you came back AP, I'm mm. fully expecting the average to change once again here. Well, it's not going to change too much. I'm saying a 6.5. See, as you guys are correct, it's nothing It's nothing special, but that's. I feel that's kind of symptomatic of Season 7 as a whole. Although I genuinely think if you're going to introduce a locomotive, you can't give them as much screen time in that first episode. I know that there's a little bit more in the next episodes coming up. And also, as everyone knows... Arthur really did get butchered after this, (laughs) as in he had one appearance beyond season seven. The groundwork is there for a good character. It's just not, he wasn't given that. And I think if 
the series had continued on in a season seven vein, we may have gotten that. So I think that mm. with a crash and a pretty good crash and mm. some duck, I think, yeah, it makes a good enough episode and it might be a tacked on message at the end, but hey, it works. So yeah, That's six right. and a half, I think. Almost a perfect Percy. Yes, yes. With mm. our collection of sixes and your 6.5, Amy, you've, singular, uh, you've singularly raised the average by 0.125%. Good. So, so bravo but i'm afraid that brings us to the end of this episode today uh we will return next week we'll be covering more wonderful stories uh parry what will they be where are we here where are my notes oh dear well connor perhaps you can tell us all good uh we'll be covering toby's windmill bad day's castle lock and reneas and the roller coaster uh ap before we fully wrap up is there anything you'd like to promote socials or projects not really um have a look on twitter i I guess look at the uh the fun stuff that's on there with the props and stuff as always and uh yeah just don't show your friend your thomas tank engine channel that's all (laughs) yes please (laughs) there it is (laughs) and of course, you can always look at some of our fun projects and what we do uh, on our social medias, such as uh, Instagram, T-T-T-E underscore right on track. Facebook.com forward slash right on track Thomas podcast. And Twitter on track Thomas. Yes. <laughs> and there is our website, right on track forward slash podcast, where there's tons more details that you can cruise around with. But in the meantime, Bye. we gotta go. So my name's Denim. My I'm name's still caught up. It's been the Violent Track <laughs> Podcast. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>